Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. Marathons require a fair bit of endurance. I've run over 15, and there's always some point in my training or even during the race when I ask myself if all of these miles are even worth running. Inevitably, I just take another swig of water and just keep pushing towards that far-off goal. And right now, it kind of feels like restaurants are in the middle of this very long road race, and no one's really sure when or how it's going to end. The hospitality industry has been upended by the pandemic, and the Independent Restaurant Coalition has been fighting on behalf of the half million small businesses that make up the $760 billion industry that directly employs over 11 million people. And one of the Independent Restaurant Coalition's co-founders is Bobby Stuckey. Bobby is the co-founder of some of Colorado's best restaurants, and he has spent the last six months lobbying senators all around the country trying to save independent restaurants. So I wanted to chat with Bobby, um, not only about all this work that he's been doing with the IRC, but also just catch up with a fellow runner, hear how he's navigating this period of time when basically all road races have been canceled for the foreseeable future, how he's staying motivated through this period, and uh, maybe get some running tips along the way. So we'll just jump right in. Uh, here's Bobby. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? You know, I've been, uh, you know, navigating 2020. Yeah, man, it's it's rough. I feel like none of us really have rudders on this one. No, it's, you know, we call it a roadmap. With, oh, it's a journey without a roadmap. It's brutal. Well, it looks like you've got a great background behind you, man. Oh, yeah, that's a photograph. Uh, we got my wife... Uh, couple years ago yeah uh, from Aaron's pick yeah it, it looks way better than my background which is just cabinetry so oh, some sweet cabinetry <laughs> everything good down in Texas yeah man we got a little bit of a cold spell which has been good for the running um, but otherwise you know it's navigating hurricane season which means runs can be in the middle of rainstorms or in the middle of sunshine you know depending on like 30 minutes yeah you look at your weather forecast and it doesn't really do you much good so what about you everything's good i just got a nice little run in and um look forward to my next trip whenever we travel again getting back down to houston so we can run in the bayou together let's hopefully do it in the uh winter our february runs are a little more enjoyable than the uh, springtime or summertime runs for sure how many miles are you logging these days Uh, you know it just depends on the week and you know it's been interesting i uh I have a 7.30 call for the IRC every day. Today I didn't have it, but typically every day since March 17th. So I've been just waking up really early and trying to get a little run in before that call because then the day just is gone. Yeah. Because those calls go until noon and stuff. Yeah, because I imagine being mountain time, those calls are based around New York, right? Yep. Or D.C. maybe. Uh, you, you both. Yeah. Yeah. Coast time. I mean, are you, are you the kind of person that can run later in the day? I have to do it like first thing when I wake up. Otherwise, uh, I like, if I didn't have obligations, but yeah. usually the Frosca obligations start about 15 minutes after my IRC obligations. That's crazy. I mean, I can't imagine, especially now with Sunday vinyl open Tavernetta as well, you know, and then the locale, uh, the pizzeria locations just opening and opening. Like, are you spending most of your time in Boulder these days? Or are you traveling to these other spots? 
So Lachlan oversees the fast casual pizzerias. So I've only mm-hmm. been to those, that newest location once or twice. Mm-hmm. But I'm in at Tavernetta and Sunday Vinyl, usually two to three days a week. And then Frosca, original pizzeria locale, two to three days a week. Okay. That's a lot, man. It's brutal. So, you know, you were supposed to run the uh, London Marathon this yep. year, right? Yes. That, that would have been um, late April, early May, something like that. Yeah, and I had, even though we had had like a really uh, February was the second snowiest February of all time. I was yeah. going into March, going okay, I got this. I had done all my, I had not missed a long yeah. run. Everything was good, and then uh, they postponed it to October fourth, and then they canceled it. But my wife and I are gonna. We haven't taken any time off since COVID, so we're gonna drive out to LA on uh, October first and run virtually. Hell yeah! The London Marathon with my brother. So I'll just Hell yeah. his pace. I love it. Well, you guys traveled together to Berlin to do yeah. the uh, Berlin Marathon, right? Yeah, we've done uh, LA before together. We've done a bunch of stuff. Didn't you PR in LA? No, no, I didn't. I've never PR'd in LA. I've, I actually have. That's my second slowest. Really? My PR is from New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, because LA is pretty hilly, right? Mm-hmm. And the day the, I've only done it once. My brother's done that marathon a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, that marathon. The year I did in 2016, it was like 90 degrees. That's yeah. brutal. Yeah, the slowest marathon I've ever run was Boston in 2012. And that was the year it was like, it peaked at 89 degrees. And it was just yeah. fucking disgusting. It was miserable. Yeah. You know, not not fun. Yeah, I'm not cut off that. I can't imagine training though during like that much snow. I mean. Yeah, it's okay. You just, um, you just don't go fast. You just, it's more about strength. You just kind of plod yeah. along. And it, it, it's, you know, Boulder's interesting. Even with a lot of snow, if you drive out to the res where there's sunshine, you can the next day have pretty decent footing. Uh, it's something that we do not have to deal with here in Houston, Texas. We've got, we've got other fish to fry there, other, you know, water hazards that you have to deal with down here. But yeah, heat, humidity, all that. So I'm sure that most people listening, um, if they don't know you, they know your restaurants. Bobby, you run Tavernetta, Sunday Vinyl, and then most notably Frosca. You're a fixture within the wine community and an equally large fixture, I think, in the running community. You've run numerous full marathons. You just published a book about uh, Friuli food and wine. And you're one of the people kind of leading the charge on the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, I really kind of wanted to chat with you about how you're kind of maintaining your stamina. This is really an endurance race. And I kind of wanted to chat with you about all that. So Great. Well, thanks for having me on. In terms of the running, at least, I mean, I know you referenced earlier that you were training for London, but at any point, did you take a break in your running to... all of us kind of were dealing with shit immediately hitting fans. For you, was running something that you just had to maintain all the way through, or did you take a break at any point? What was kind of your relation to running in the months of like February, March, and April? Well, running has had a, um, I've had a relationship with running in lifestyle and life balance probably since I was seven years old. I'm an ADD, a dyslexic kid who's now 51 years old with the same. Um, the same challenges I had when I was seven and running was my form of self-medication and a way to focus and 
So when COVID hit uh, March, I mean, the day we were told to close March 16th, uh, we, I helped uh, with a group of us, we started <clears throat> pretty much the next day, the IRC. So when everyone else was like watching Tiger uh, videos, yeah, we were in the thick of it with the IRC because the IRC had never existed. Uh, we were trying to navigate a landscape that none of us really were experts in. Matter of fact, myself, I had never even, you know, someone like Tom Quicchio, he who's one of the co-founders, he had done lobbyist uh, political action work before, which was great to have someone like that. But people like myself had never done anything like that. So it was, it was a full-time job the day COVID st started through to today, learning mm -hmm what to do yeah i mean were the goals any different on march 16th like was it clear in that exact moment what you needed because none of us really knew kind of what the timeline was for any of this no no, no. we were just like the federal government we knew that our industry was fragile you know we thought the ppp would be a fix and then as soon as the ppp came out and we read the legislation on it we knew we were in trouble the PPP, for all intents and purposes, was a heroic effort by both sides of the aisle, and it worked for a lot of industries. It did not work for the restaurant industry. It was mm -hmm. when they wrote that in, in in their defense, they thought we'd be through this by Easter. So that was an eight week fix for an eighteen month problem. So kind of the lay of the land for the IRC was once we realized the PPP didn't work, our our next objective was to help change the PPP. Matter of fact, we uh, helped. Uh, Dean Phillips uh, from Minnesota, and then a congressman from Texas, Chip Roy, they came out with the PPP Flex. And I think that was a lifeline that restaurants across the country were able to use. And it got a lot of them maybe to August of this year, some maybe a little bit longer. And then at that same time, we started working legislatively with um, our first like kind of patron saint to the restaurants was Earl Blumenauer from Portland. Congressman, and he paired up with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, bipartisan from uh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. and then Mississippi, Roger Senator Roger Wicker paired up with Democrat from Arizona, uh, Senator Cinema, and they, in both divisions of government, the House of Representatives and the Senate, they came up with they're very similar bills. There's about a little, maybe a ten percent difference between the Senate and the House bill, mm -hmm. and we worked on that, and then. That got, I think, released late May, early June. We've been fighting for that every day since. I mean, at this point, I think there's about 196 representatives, about 40 senators that have endorsed the Restaurants Act. You know, you've spent your career working in some pretty intense kitchens and intense dining rooms. I mean, French Laundry, you know, Frosca. You've had the opportunity in your career, at least, to interface with a lot of different people from like the hospitality perspective. Now, all of a sudden having to like lobby senators and congressmen, I'm sure that it's a very different sort of interaction than the ones that you were having when you're, you know, picking out bottles of Burgundy. But like what aspects of that background really applied in these scenarios? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that. We joke in the IRC um, we all have different approaches of speaking to a congressman or a chief of staff or a senator mm -hmm. or staff members. And I kind of used my restaurant background to best approach this. So everyone has a different way of how they want to speak to a congressperson. The mm -hmm. difference 
between being in a tense dining room and choosing burgundy for a high wattage guest, the high wattage guest is paying for that experience. Your senator and congressman, you have to realize they work for you. So as intimidating as it may be in the beginning, you just have to say, wait a second, I deserve to be at this table and I expect them to listen to me because that's their job. They weren't forced to be a senator. They weren't forced to be a congressman. They put their hand up to be a leader. And so I really used a lot of those restaurant skills for that. So like what I'll do is I'll kind of mater D the situation. Let's say um, you're going to talk to, I'll just pick out a senator. Let's say you're going to talk to the staff of Iowa. Boom. Throw a dart into the middle of the country. Uh, Joni Ernst, senator. You're going to speak to their staff. Before you get on that call, I might read about Iowa, what percentage of staff are in the restaurant industry, what industries they have that depend on our industry. So Iowa's a prime example. Not a huge restaurant state, right? But it's still 7 8% of their workforce are in restaurants. But they have a huge workforce that depends on restaurants. So, you know, they have a very artisanal cheese, dairy, pork production. All that is hinged to our industry across the country. Yeah. So maybe I will put all that together. And then I'll, I'll read about what Senator Ernst has been into in the past. So I'm ready to listen to their needs and understand every senator and congressman has a different way they're looking at it. They all have a different year too, right? Let's say mm -hmm. if you're in play, uh, if you're a senator or congressman in play in a competitive battleground district, you might look at this different ways. Yeah, you're up for re-election. You need to do everything you can to make sure that voters see you as someone that really gives a shit. Yeah. yeah. So each each call is a little different. And it, I look at it as not unlike preparing for dinner service at Frosca. We're going to research our guests. We're going to look at the reservation notes. We're going to have a pre-service. It's the same idea. When you look back at you know the past six months, let's say, I know you said that there's been kind of like incremental growth in the IRC. There have been certain achievements that you guys have managed to get. But what do you see being the big things over the next couple of months? Kind of like those short-term goals between now and let's say the election. Well, you know, it's like we're throwing the long bomb today right? Um, you would like to have something done before they go on October recess for election. You know, Mark Meadows met with the leaders of the airline industry yesterday. So they're fighting for a second package. I can look at that a couple different ways. Maybe that helps us. Maybe that, I don't know, uh, maybe sure you're fighting for dollars, but maybe look, if you're going to give a, an industry that's 650 to 700,000 jobs, a second package, Maybe we should really look at an industry that has 15 times the jobs, its first package. So, um, you know, that, that's something that's weighing on all of us. And, and that's something we're pushing on right now. Uh, it is an interesting year. Uh, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Look, it's a wild ride, right? Like mm -hmm. you've got a lot going on. You have a lot going on in the, in the Democratic Party. You have a lot going on in the Republican Party. It makes for a very complex year to try to get a bill for an industry that has not historically had a background of lobbying on DC. I'm sure this is a wild thing for you to suddenly find yourself thrust into kind of like politicking after, you know, decades of restaurant work. But I'm sure that there, there's some level of lobbying that needs to be done on a local or state level compared to on a federal level, right? I know that you've petitioned to your governor, uh, for certain things, but 
every state kind of has their own policies in place right now with a lot of this stuff, right? In terms of to what degree a bar or restaurant might be able to be open. Our, our, we're different here in Colorado. Jared Polis is very, the, our governor is incredibly available and a great listener and very there, very much there for the industry. I mean, the interesting part is I am not opposed to the restrictions or guidelines he's, he's given us. As a matter of fact, I think you got to take your gut. Well, in our case, you take your governor's guidelines and that should be the base level. These mm-hmm. restaurants are trying to skirt the governor's guidelines and, and kind of cheat the system. That's not good in a pandemic with COVID. Um, this is not the time for that. You should use the governor's levels as the baseline. So our governor has been very communicative. He's been very open to our industry. With mm-hmm. saying that, it is a hard fact that what restaurants are doing for their part of society is very detrimental to their business model. Meaning, yeah, if you're closed for three months, any business, no business, you know, and people have to realize the other businesses work from home. And even if they're at 60%, they're 60% working from home during the original quarantine is still 10% better than what we can possibly be now while being reopened. Mm-hmm. So we, we, our industry was effectively made illegal yeah. overnight. Um, we reopened depending on which state, which city, what county around the country you are with different guidelines. I mean, poor New York still doesn't have in-room dining. Uh, Philadelphia just got it. LA, San Francisco do not have it. So each deck of cards is different and each dining room is different too. We were reopened at 50%. So that's, that's not the governor's fault. It, and it's not the restaurant's fault, but this is where government needs to step in and say, wait, we took an industry. They played by the rules. This is not a bailout. They didn't do anything wrong, but we've asked them to work like this. Gosh darn it. We owe them something. Mm-hmm. Look, the airlines were never asked to close. And look, I am 100% pro airlines. I consult for American airlines. I think they, they there's a definitely place for that, but it's good to use these as comparisons. They were never asked to close. They just had guests not wanting to fly. They were never asked to be at 50% or 25% or some of these, you know, no in-room dining, only outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. That That is way more restrictive than anything they got. If you If you've got a flight from Houston to Denver and you get lucky and you have a lot of demand for that flight, they will fill up that flight. Mm-hmm. If it's 7 o'clock tonight, I have a bunch of walk-ins show up. I'm turning them away because we're at 50% occupancy. That's that's just a fact of life. And that's every restaurant multiplied out across the country. So it's, um, it's just a different deck of cards and we need some government assistance here. I mean, it's interesting to think about because so often restaurants operate in kind of a, a bubble, right? You know, if you're a bartender or a SOM or a server at a restaurant, you oftentimes think only about what exists within those four walls. And the same as a restaurant operator. If you're the manager, wine director of a place, you oftentimes think first and foremost about what's going on here. And over the past six months, you and so many other restaurants have had to kind of like band together and create this community to lobby for these things that really are needed for the survival of the industry. 100%. And it is a whole different skill set. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. It's wild. The restaurants that you're running right now. I mean, Sunday Vinyl just opened in December of 2019, right? You guys are less than a year old. Horrible time to open a restaurant. COVID. 
Oh, man. But the restaurant is operating right now, right? It's operating under the realm of restaurant rather than bar per se, right? And it's always been a restaurant wine bar. Mm -hmm. So food has always been a major piece of it. Menu has been. So we didn't have to pivot that way. We weren't looked at as a bar. We were a wine bar with a full menu. So we were fine in that. And both Sunday Vinyl and Tavernetta are in kind of it's Union Station, right? If I have the name correct. And that's an area that's right in the heart of Denver. Um, If you're taking the train in, if you're taking a bus from the airport, anything like that, it's kind of the fixture of the city, right? You get off the train from the airport, literally you're staring right at Sunday Vinyl and Tavernetta. So pre-COVID, it probably was one of the, I have to say, maybe one of the most lucky, fortunate restaurant locations in the state of Colorado that's not at the foot of a ski hill. Um, Mm -hmm. It really is and will again be a great location. It is struggling right now because all those beautiful offices around it, no one's come back to work. I mean, is there any sort of like regional tourism that's going on right now? I mean, you find a lot of people that are trying to rent RVs and spend time outdoors. Is Colorado seeing any of that aspect of tourism right now? Yeah, the mountains especially. I think what I've heard is that Vail and Aspen and Steamboat had record Julys and record August. Wow. So they're seeing a lot of it. But downtown Denver in an urban environment, that's not really where people want to be right now. Yeah. You know, there's a stigma, mass transit, public transportation, city center, boom, boom, boom. That adds up to a lot of people like, "Mm, maybe I'll go up to the mountains. It's, it's fucking wild right now. I mean, beyond the independent restaurant coalition and working towards that goal, like what else is kind of keeping you sane these days? You know, definitely going for a bike ride or a run helps a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I could not do all this if I did not have that balancing act. Um, I think I've ran or rode my bike every day since we closed of COVID, except for two. So I've tried to have a little bit of that balance the whole time. I know you mentioned that like you kind of discovered running really when you were like a kid, like seven years old, but cycling was something that was really big for you too. Do you kind of like associate those two things with different things? Like, do you seek out one activity more than the other when you're feeling a certain way or do you get a certain level of enjoyment from one versus the other? Um, I love them both. Um, I think I need to embrace cycling again more just as I get, I'm 51 years old, you know. Um, they heard you the first time, Bobby. You don't need to keep reminding them how old you, you are. Know, you like, just, that's a lot of running. So, yeah, um, no, for sure. So I do, and like cycling's great. Like there's friends of mine who don't really run, but they bike. And um, I have a small group of guys that we go out on, on uh, Sunday mornings and uh, we get, you know, maybe a hundred kilometer ride in and get a bunch of vertical climbing. It's great. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I love them both. Cycling does yeah. take a lot more time. So it's like, you can't go squeeze in a 10 mile. You can squeeze in a 10 mile run if you're, if you're motivated in an hour and 10 minutes to go for a bike ride. Mm-hmm. I, it takes me almost an hour just to find my shoes, get yeah. all my gear on. No, they're very different activities for sure. Um, you know, I, I found it really hard myself to just stay motivated with my running, you know, it's one thing to just get out there and run, but to try and make an active effort to be a better runner, you know, it's been a little challenging over these six months, you know, um, for me, at least registering for a marathon and trying to like beat my PR, you know, having a race to look forward to, that was such a big motivator for me. 
And I'm sure for a lot of other, you know, runners it is as well, but finding that motivation to like go out and do better with each run has definitely been a challenge. I don't know if you felt any of that or anyone in your running group has felt that. Well, a lot of people have, um, I kind of looked at it. I like my brother, he is taking this virtual London very serious. Like he is like treating it like he is putting the number on and pretending he's Kipchoge. Hell yeah. Full gas. Um, I can't get that motivated for a virtual marathon like that. But what I can do is like, I'm a study of running. So like, I like, if I was a professional runner, I would look at 2020 as a time to embrace things that I might not do. Like maybe do a linear method periodization where you do a lot of volume, you know, a lot, you know, build that base. Uh, One thing I did was I did my first hundred mile week that I ever had. So I I saw you did that. You did that in what? April or May? Early on in COVID, I was like, man, I'm going to go do a hundred mile week. Of course, my younger brother posted the next week, 101 miles. Ah, man. Just an asshole. <laughs> and he like put his file on Instagram. I was just like, thanks, buddy. How do you um, how do you do a hundred in a week? Like, how do you break that up? Well, it was our restaurants were closed and I was just doing the IRC in the morning. So I'd wake up, I'd do my run, jump on the IRC call. So I would do it in double. So Okay. So I did a like a 19 or 20 mile Sunday. It was a Sunday to Saturday week. Started off with like 19 to 20 miles, that first deal. And then I would do eight or nine in the morning before my uh, IRC call and then do something in the evening. And I did that that whole week. So I just did different things. Like one thing I've done this summer is the last Sunday or last Saturday, my Saturday long run was the first mm-hmm. time I didn't go up high. So I went like 10 weeks in a row uh, up to this, they call gold Hill. And there's like three iconic runs in, in for marathon training, Magnolia road, um, Rollinsville, and then gold Hill. Gold Hill being like they say is the hardest 16 miles in Boulder County. Like, oh, really? It's really tough. But, like, normally, if you're training for a marathon, you couldn't do that every week because you would just get too worn down. Totally. But if you're not training for something, you anchor your week with that. So, I went like eight or I got to look at my my training log, but I think I went 10 weeks in a row of going up there every Saturday, either Gold Hill or so doing 16 miles at 85. 100 feet. Wild. Um, I could not do that if I was training for a marathon. I'd be so worn down. Mm-hmm. But uh, those things, that, you know, they build strength and they're, they're just different. And I've seen a lot of different uh, elite runners in Boulder do different things. I, I saw uh, at the pizzeria the other night, we had a bunch of uh, the boss, uh, Joe Boss's group, uh, mm-hmm. Aisha Pratt-Lear. She's the uh, Commonwealth champion of the steeplechase, 1500 meter runner, married to Will Lear. And, um, she was talking about, she's like, yeah, I did five back-to-back 90-mile weeks. I'd never done that before. Wow. And here's an elite athlete where she took, okay, I don't have any racing, but I'm going to do this. And, and what, you know, maybe people come out of the other side stronger. It's crazy. And you've also been doing a lot of trail running, I feel like, over the past. A little bit. Not much. Not like I run with Brian Dayton, who's a restaurateur. He's way into trail running. And Craig Lewis likes doing it, so I'll go with them. I'm the slowest out of the three. Uh, he made sure to mention that when we were on our Damis on trip last April. Oh yeah, um, when we were together on that uh, trip to uh, Jerez, and I mentioned you, he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Bobby, he's a good road runner. He's all right." Yeah. <laughs> so I I get dropped on the uphill with him. I get dropped on the downhill. So 
Oh, man. But Brian has been there for – Brian and Craig both have done a lot of those runs on Gold Hill with me. With me so. Mm-hmm. You also, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you published your book on Friuli food and wine kind of at the start of all of this, right? So normally a normal book tour would have taken you traveling throughout the spring and summer, right? Yeah. I mean, we really got screwed because we were supposed to be releasing the book April 19th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Right before COVID, we found out we were going to be on the cover of Food and Wine magazine, which I saw. It was that lasagna dish, yeah. or yeah. yeah, that looks sick. That looked we good. were we were wired to have a really great, you know, book tour, selling mm-hmm. books, and then COVID happened, and the publisher said, "Hey, let's push this to July release date because it's not, you know, if you re- think about back to March, Northern Italy was in the mess of it, and you just couldn't." feel good releasing a book when the region that you wrote about is under so much pain. So we delayed it till July and we released it in July and um, we just haven't gotten a chance to do those, uh, those book tours that you would uh, normally do with a book release. So as soon as we can do that, you know, the book is a pretty evergreen book. It does, it's not like needs to have the push this month. So we, whenever we're allowed to, we'll we'll retool that again. And you've done a couple of like at home events with uh, Frosca. Um, have have there been any other kind of like um, virtual tastings or virtual cooking events that y'all have done either in relation to the book or in relation to any other restaurants? Yeah, we you know we do a at home every Sunday. So we've now done I think nineteen. Mm-hmm. So Carlin and I will film just like how we are right now an interview with a. Uh, winemaker who's featured that cool. chef Kelvin Eduardo will, we will film them cooking the dish and then the guests will get on Sunday afternoon, uh, email link of those videos. They will come pick it up. They'll have everything to do their frosca at home. So we've done, a, I think this week might be 20. Wow. We've done like 20 of them. Like, uh, so that's been really wonderful. And then we've done like, um, you know, some virtual tastings, either me through Scarpetta or for charity and things like that. Hell yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want people to know about what's going on in the restaurant industry? What people, you know, can be doing beyond just ordering takeout to support their local restaurants? Yeah, I think the most important thing people can do is go to www.saverestaurants.com. Um, you go to that website. Once you go on, that's the IRC, the Independent Restaurant Coalition website. You can say, contact my congressperson or senator. You hit that link. It takes about 30 seconds. You put in your address, your name, your email, and Mm -hmm. it will collate for you and send a message to your congressperson or senator. That's the most important thing because hopefully we can get to a tipping point that we can get Restaurants Act 2020 passed mm-hmm. and we can um, get back to what we like doing is taking care of guests. Hell yeah. And what about for people listening that are getting into running? I don't know if you've had it happen to you, but I know a lot of people that once their gyms closed, they wanted to find some way to exercise. And I know at least a couple of friends who took up running at the start of quarantine just got into it. For people that maybe are early in their kind of like running careers, um, what advice would you give to them? 
Well, running is very un-American in the sense Americans want things fast, especially certain generations, immediate. And I feel attacked right now as a millennial. No, I'm just saying certain generations like things quicker. Um, Mm -hmm. And running is not about quickness. It's about one foot in front of the other, building that base. It takes a long time for running to give back to you. Like if I go for a bike ride, I could not be on my bike for two months. I can go for a bike ride. I'm not destroyed in pain afterwards. I can do that. But running, if I went three months without running, and it would Oof. it takes a while to come back. And so for people who are beginning, even expert runners, whenever you stop, it takes a while to come back. So don't be discouraged. Just each day do a little bit more. And if you can't run a mile, walk uh, five minutes, run 10 minutes and do that. And then each day do a little more. And it's amazing. Running is the great equalizer. If you give to running, it will eventually give back to you wonderfully. But you have to learn to share with running. When you travel to Italy, when you go to Friuli or other parts of Italy, are there any winemakers that you always get a run in with? Um, yeah. Well, you know, the Petrusa family, I haven't gotten to run with them, but Craig Lewis has. The Petrusa brothers are like great masters, 800 meter runners. Really? Yeah. They're like super, super talented. Hmm. Um and uh, Mitya Sirk, the sommelier and wine director at uh, La Subida, he and I run together a lot. Um, yeah, there's people who are into it. You know, especially mountain running, Italy is like the epicenter for professional mountain running. So they have mm. a lot of great mountain runners there. They have a whole series. Very cool. Well, Bobby, I really want to thank you for taking the time to chat, sharing everything that you're doing with IRC sharing your running tips with the audience. Um, Hopefully we can get you down to Houston sometime, if not in 2020, maybe in 2021. I'm ready. Great. Perfect. Huge job. Thank you so much, Senor. I appreciate it. To learn more about what Bobby's up to in Colorado, you can follow him on Instagram at BobbyStuckyMS. And again, that website that Bobby mentioned for the IRC is Save Restaurants, plural, saverestaurants.com. So to learn, check out the website and continue to support your local restaurants. That is our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find By the Glass wherever you stream your audio content. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, all those good things. So check it out. We'll see you soon. Keep drinking good wine. Keep running if you're a runner. And keep listening to the pod. Thanks again. See ya.